Sunrift Adventures and Historic Travelers Rest South Carolina has been outfitting the foothills for over 37 years with the best boats, bikes, tents, and more. With great brands, Sunrift has you covered for every adventure. Stop into Sunrift Adventures' unique outdoor shop and say hello today. Go to sunrift.com for more information. That's sunrift.com. Nature's Edge is brought to you by the Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina, Western North Carolina's only magazine dedicated to the fishing enthusiast. Pick one up at over 400 locations throughout Western North Carolina or visit them online at theanglermagazine.com to find out more. And be sure to follow them on Facebook, Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina. Programming support for Nature's Edge comes from the Native Watercraft, locally made fishing kayaks designed for Carolina waters and beyond. Models featuring the hands-free Propel Pedal Drive system, the new Slayer 12XC, perfect for fishing the French Broad, as well as a full range of kayak fishing accessories can be purchased at the Native Watercraft Factory Store at 210 Old Airport Road in Fletcher, North Carolina. Again, that is 210 Old Airport Road in Fletcher. For more details, Google Native Watercraft Factory store. Hey guys, Dale Stewart here. This is Nature's Edge. You know, on May 8th of this year, we lost a, a real wildlife icon Jim Fowler. Uh, Jim was who I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, today's show, I kind of want to dedicate to Jim and honor him. Uh, For those of you that may not recognize the name, Jim was a member of the Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom team since it premiered uh, back in uh, January of 1963. And uh, Jim's a a naturalist, and, uh, and he really remained active as an ambassador to wild creatures and and wild places uh just right up till his his passing and uh i thought it'd be kind of neat today to to have a young lady on who is kind of following in jim's footsteps she is the current mutual of omaha wild kingdom wild guide her name is stephanie arney and stephanie welcome to nature's edge my friend oh thank you so much for having me it's it's great to to have you and since we're talking about Jim, I mean, I know you knew him and, and have just spent some time with uh, with his son, Mark, and his family. What are your memories of Jim? Well, at first, my memories are growing up watching the syndicated show. I was born in 83, so I was just catching the tail end of the show and sitting with my grandpa. And I remember watching him and looking at my grandpa and, and this is a memory is that apparently he was probably wrestling something sure and i turned to the grandpa and said i want to do that and you know they all had a good laugh <laughs> yeah. oh no 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 um but then more recently when i became the host of wild kingdom in 2013 i obviously wanted to do a lot of research on him and i knew a lot about him but i really wanted to dive in and so i spent a lot of time reading his books and watching every original episode of wilding uh, wild kingdom with marlin and jim and stan sure. and tom allen and the whole crew and just falling in love with his message he he was saying things that we're saying today back in the 60s and he had the same passion as he said it then as he did the very first time i ever met him two years ago which was 
um, it'll be something I'll never forget when I finally got to hear that voice yeah. and those messages in real life as we were sitting on the couch, enjoying coffee, speaking about our experience with Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and uh, the incredible wildlife we've worked with all over the world. So by the end of the night, we were eating scrambled eggs and ketchup and yep. laughing and crying <laughs> and just having a heck of a time. And I just am never going to forget that. Yeah, you know the the that's that sort of memories I have of Jim as well. I mean, he he was he was such a gracious host, and and you know really would sit down and and really talk to you about uh, not only about you know Mitchell Omaha's Wild Kingdom, but but his conservation work, his work with wildlife uh, that he that he was continuing, and and uh, you know some of the behind the scenes stuff and. And as someone who did grow up watching him almost from day one and, and really wanted to be part of him, and then, you know, talking about just some of the crazy things we had both done in, in Africa and other areas of the world, uh, what a what a great loss uh, he is to, uh, to, to wildlife and, and to, to people like, uh, like us that, that really uh, thought a great deal about him. Exactly. It really was. Stephanie, I know you have a very strong connection with nature, and, and you've really embraced sort of the importance of living as part of the natural world and, you know, rather than being a part of it. And that's certainly something that uh, that I agree with. And and uh, I know you've worked as a biologist and a conservation uh, leader, and you, you've learned from farmers and CEOs and fishermen and people like Jim, and you've spent time... Uh, in Africa, Australia, Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, we've probably walked some of the same footpaths, but uh, that's that's good stuff. So, tell me a little about uh, how did you become part of of Mutual of Omaha of the Wild Kingdom family? Well, it all started in 2013 when they had their 50th anniversary. They wanted to celebrate 50 incredible years of Wild Kingdom, and so they. <laughs> They were trying to think of a creative way to reach uh, basically as many people in the public as possible. And since we're all online, they thought it would be really fun to hold an online contest. And this was before everybody was doing contests. So it was really fun at the time. Basically, what they did is they said, for our 50th anniversary, we want to celebrate Wild Kingdom. And we want to have a contest to find our next wild guide. And we were promised some fun cash, and then uh, one episode for Wild Kingdom. So that was exciting. I, at the time, was trying to create a TV show in Hawaii where I lived. And so as soon as I got the call from a colleague at the Omaha Zoo, which I had worked at 10 years prior to this, she was like, I know you're working on a show, but Wild Kingdom's looking for a new host right now. This is your thing. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. So we had to enter with a two-minute video, and this audition-type video had to share why we think we'd be a great host. And so I just made a video as though I was already the host of a TV show and entered that in. I heard over 2,000 people applied. They narrowed it down to 12. And once it hit 12, we had to get the public to vote for us every single day on multiple devices for 13 long days. And then they narrowed it down to the top three. We were flown to Omaha, had to do screen testing and interviews. And about a month after that, I was called the new host of Wild Kingdom. And it was so crazy. My whole life changed overnight. Oh, absolutely. I, I can yeah, only so imagine. Uh, 
yeah, what what that meant to you. Now, did you know uh, much about the program then? You said you had watched the show some with your grand. I did. I did. I I watched a lot with, uh, like I said, the syndicated portion of it um, in the early 80s. Well, actually, all the 80s. But then in 2000, when I was in college, they they did a whole documentary series on Animal Planet and on Discovery Channel. So I watched a lot of those. So yes, I was very, very familiar with the brand. And I had started my career at the Omaha Zoo and Aquarium, the 100 Early Zoo there. And so we all had Mutual of Omaha insurance. They have a huge Mutual of Omaha building dedicated to a lot of educational um, exhibits and small animals that kids could really, you know, connect with. Yep. And so I was very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so have you followed in Jim's footsteps by taking wild animals onto TV shows? Yeah, I have. I, I unfortunately didn't get to go on the Tonight Show the way he did. You know, yeah. he's, what a legend, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I do regularly go on NPR. I've been on the Weather Channel. I've been on me- multiple radio shows and news channels. And probably my two favorite has been on a talk show on Animal Planet with Anthony Anderson. Sure. And then I was a regular with Harry Connick Jr. on his daytime TV show. Yeah, you know, Harry and I are both from Louisiana, and uh, I've had the privilege of, of uh, working with him on a couple of projects, too. He's a great guy. You know, he really is. People ask me all the time, like, is he really as nice? Because he just seems so kind. Oh, it's got to be fake. I'm like, no, nope. that is totally him. That, that's and exactly his, right. That's, oh, that's who he and is. And his wife and daughters, yep. just as kind. Yep. Uh, great guy. I've got to ask you, you know, we're talking about nature and wildlife and all that stuff, but i got to ask you about the tiny house stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that come from, and how does that fit into this this world? A lot of it has to do with the natural world, my Uh. fascination with it and my stewardship of it. I, I really wanted to see what else I could do, how I could really push myself to live a minimalist lifestyle so that I could have a smaller footprint on sure. our planet. And, you know, I I think we are all quite aware of the impact humans have to the natural world. So all of us are trying to do the best we can where we can. But I, like I said, I was like, what can I do to really push myself? And what are people fascinated with? And I saw the tiny house, you know, big movement happening again because they were all over on TV now. Not that tiny houses haven't existed since the beginning of time, um, but it was just becoming a big fascination for people. And so I was like, you know what? My husband and I are like, let's get a tiny house and we'll uh, travel the country in it, pulling it around like an RV, which is we're very aware is not the sustainable part of it. But we knew if we pulled it around and we parked it in front of zoos, aquariums, museums, festivals, universities, and let thousands of of Americans walk through it, then we could have those in-person conversations about what is really happening, what are we doing, and what can we do in our homes and in our communities to really lessen our footprint and impact on the planet. And it was so remarkable. I've I've never had an experience like it. In the end, we had 50,000 Americans walk through our house of all religions, political affiliations, ages, colors, backgrounds, everything. And it was just incredible to have people walk in this home with their eyes glistening. You know, some of them, this 
the tiny house is like meeting Tom Cruise, you know, oh, yeah. like, I've seen these on TV. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But then other people would walk through and say, wow, I didn't realize, you know, it's more than plastic bags. It's, it's more than that. It's our clothes. It's the things that we put in our kitchen. It's the cleaning supplies, our belts, our shoes, it's the paint we put on our walls, the curtains we put on our windows. It's every single thing that we purchase comes from the earth. And when we're told it's no longer cool or we get bored with it, we throw it away. And we don't always know exactly how that impacts our natural world. So just trying to meet people where they're at and help raise a little bit of more awareness and hopefully inspire them to start changing some behaviors and habits in order to not just do it for the natural world, but also ourselves. Because like yeah. you know, we're all connected. Our choices and interactions with the natural world come back to us and our children and affect the ecosystem that is our really cool meat robot, our bodies. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really cool. It was a really cool two years. Now we're parked. I like and, that. And you know, trying it, to chill out. <laughs> I never lived in a tiny house. I did live in a teepee for two years. Oh, you and, know, that's probably even better than what I've got going on. And, and that was pretty neat. And, and again, I probably spent like you, more time living in a tent or in a hammock than most people have in houses. So yeah, I'm okay. very comfortable with that 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 small space. And <clears throat> I think one of the things that happens to us in this society is, is there's this there was this dream for a long time that we've got to drive the big car and build these big yep. monuments to ourselves that we call our homes. And uh, I know, yeah, my wife and I went through several years ago and, and went from a uh, a large house that I have no idea why we why we had it down to something much smaller for the two of us and you know the dog and the cats and and it's uh uh and and really try to try to change our footprint a lot and we do it naturally and and uh and I talk about it a lot when I see other people and when I talk to other people um I did want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, uh what what's some of the most interesting experiences uh steph that you've had in the in the natural world either with animals or or locations or whatever oh wow as you know there's so many i do i guess it's just going to be whatever triggers first um i would say my my very first time i went to africa is probably one of the most impactful experiences i've ever had in my life i agree i went there my senior year of college i focused on West Africa, uh-huh. Ghana, Togo, Benin, and Burkina Faso. And we were traveling around interviewing the locals about their personal feelings about the natural world, their interactions with the animals, and what their perspectives were of the American culture and how we how we are or are not coexisting with our animals. Sure. Fascinating. So I, I was interviewing this woman, and she was holding this cassava bowl and using whatever was in it to fix her mud hut. And then as soon as she was done, I saw her clean it out and use it to start grinding um, different types of grains. And I just watched her the whole day as we were getting lessons and something else and saw her garden, saw her goats, and, and she I could just see how how connected she was and she was very prideful of her band and and her food anyway later on in the day i was able to 
to go up to, up to her, and I don't know what I did. I was probably a stupid 20-year-old, 23-year-old, however old I was. <laughs> and I said something that basically kind of made it sound like I felt bad for her. And she just paused, looked back, and looked at me and said, Baby girl, I, I know where my food comes from. I know where my animals come from. I kill them myself. I bless them and, and bless myself for the delicious food. I'm grateful. I use every part of it. Don't feel bad for me. I know where my food comes from. I know where my animals come from. I know my community. I know my children. We take care of each other. We help each other out. I've heard that you guys live in separate homes, even from your own families. I heard that you guys have all of these things. You have these stores with endless amounts of things, referring to a Walmart. I heard that you use a broom one time and throw it away. And that's exactly when Swiffer Wet Jack came out. Yep. And she just looked at me and said, don't feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for you. And I remember just crying because I never, I never would have expected that to happen. I was told, you have to have this big house and these cars and Doc Martin shoes and sure. <laughs> these nice things. And I looked at her and I saw that she didn't have any of those. Yet she had more pride and more joy and more connection with the natural world than I had in my pinky finger. And she felt bad for me because I didn't have that. And that was my first time that I was really curious. I was like, hold on a second. Are, are my values opposite of what they should be? So that was huge for me. And it, it was almost like I, the, the curtain was lifted and I started looking around at the whole world very differently. Yeah. And I realized that those things aren't what made me happy and brought me joy and were ultimately not healthy for the whole planet as well. Yeah, you know, Steph, I've, I've lived with indigenous tribes on six continents, and <clears throat> I've heard those same, those same stories. And I, I really wish more Americans could, could really spend time, you know, in those environments and really listen to uh, what, the, what these men and women have to say and how they live and how they, per, uh, you know, how they perceive life. And it's, it really is. It, it, it gave me early on, like you, a, a totally different outlook, I guess, on, on who we are and the way we live as Americans. Exactly. Yeah. If I could, I would like to share one more. Absolutely. Um, it was on that same trip, but I've had this same story just like you said we have once you start traveling you start having these same stories but this one was really huge for me as well i we were on safari and it was probably the you know fifth or sixth day sometimes you drive for hours and see nothing but heart of east and warthogs and termite mounds that you think are eventually like a pride of lions yep. you start going crazy um so I we're driving and all of a sudden I look out and I see this man walking out and he has a gun and I turn to my driver and I'm like, stop, we have a poacher, we need to get him. And, and he just looked at me like, what girl? Uh, I was like, yeah, look, look, there's a poacher out there. We got to get him. He's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, no, you come on. And he, so he starts driving towards him and we get really nervous and we pull up and they start chatting. Like they haven't spoken to each other in two years they're good old friends. Well, come to find out that I was right. He did used to be a poacher. 
you know, when when he grew up, there was a huge drought. It made it very difficult for them to take care of their livestock and, and grow food. Uh, jobs were scarce at the time, or he'd have to leave for a long period of time to work, and that would be leaving his family. So when presented with the opportunity to become a poacher, to use his skills as a hunter and a tracker, in order to get, what, two, three-year salary in one kill or in one year? Sure. I mean, of course, he would say yes to that. He had to take care of all of his children. So he said he remembered the first time that he ever killed a rhino and took the horn. And to him, yes, rhino, they appreciate it. But a lot of the animals to them, they look at just like we look at cows. You know, they're grazers. Yeah. And they don't know how many there are. So to them, they're like, okay, well, you want me to kill one of these big cow things for their horn? That's weird. The horn doesn't do anything, but okay. But I remember him almost crying as he told the story. Like more and more, I started going to bed at night and just feeling like this was wrong and, and crying myself to sleep and not letting my kids see it because it was feeding them. But eventually, programs started being created where poachers were being taken from that world and using their skills for good. And I'm very grateful for those programs because it was able... It gave him the opportunity to switch from a world that was very dangerous and that he didn't want to be a part of to using his skills for good. So seeing how, number one, everybody has a story. And I learned that judging and shaming and, and pointing fingers isn't the best way to go about doing things. It's not the best way to solve problems. And it's not very compassionate. And secondly, it's important that we get creative and we work together, whether it's a zoo to aquarium, to the government, to a nonprofit, to ecotourism. We all need to work together to come up with creative solutions to um, to combat some of these issues like wildlife trafficking and poaching and climate change and overharvesting and whatever it may be. Absolutely. Because it not only helps out wildlife and the environment, which is our main goal, yep. but I think some people that work in the animal world sometimes forget about the moral, moral and ethical treatment of what's happening with the people oh, that are part of that. Yeah. And they might not have chosen that life. It might have chosen them. Yep. And so we can't always hate them and be like, ma, poacher the way I did right yeah. away. Steph, we've, all we've, of us do. We've got about a yep. minute left, and I did want to... I know that you're also a speaker and, and, uh, and like me, uh, a, a storyteller. How do people uh, make contact with you if they wanna, want to uh, uh, learn more about you or, or to invite you as a speaker? Um, you, can go to, uh, wild, uh, you can go to wildkingdom.com to learn more about the, the series there. If you want to have me speak or do consulting or go on the radio or be on a TV show, I would go to stephaniearney.com. And you can find my information there. And it's the same for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. It's at stephaniearney.com. That's Stephanie with a PH and then A R N E. And guys, I will post that on uh, that information as well on all my social uh, media. Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on Nature's Edge today and and sharing some of your stories and and uh, talking about Jim uh, Fowler a little bit. Oh, thank you. Well, we just have to keep his, you know, keep this mission going, right? Well, don't worry. Tough, we'll, but... Yeah, we'll, we will keep <laughs> doing that. Guys, this is Dale Stewart. You have been listening to Nature's Edge. And until we meet again, run wild, run free, my friends.
Visit naturesedgemedia.com. You can check out podcasts, videos, lecture archives from Dale, and much more. Thank you for listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, brought to you by Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina.